Chapter Twenty Five of the Blythedale Romance. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Blythedale Romance by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Chapter Twenty Five. The Three Together. Hollingsworth was in his ordinary working dress. Priscilla wore a pretty and simple gown with a kerchief about her neck, and a calash which she had flung back from her head, leaving it suspended by the strings. But Zenobia, whose part among the maskers, as may be supposed, was no inferior one, appeared in a costume of fanciful magnificence, with her jewelled flower as the central ornament of what resembled a leafy crown or coronet. She represented the Oriental princess by whose name we were accustomed to know her. Her attitude was free and noble, yet if a queen's, it was not that of a queen triumphant, but dethroned, on trial for her life, or perchance condemned already. The spirit of the conflict seemed nevertheless to be alive in her. Her eyes were on fire, her cheeks had each a crimson spot, so exceedingly vivid, and marked with so definite an outline, that I at first doubted whether it were not artificial. In a very brief space, however, this idea was shamed by the paleness that ensued as the blood sunk suddenly away. Zenobia now looked like marble. One always feels the fact in an instant when he is intruded on those who love or those who hate, at some acme of their passion that puts them into a sphere of their own, where no other spirit can pretend to stand on equal ground with them. I was confused affected even with a species of terror, and wished myself away. The intenseness of their feelings gave them the exclusive property of the soil and atmosphere, and left me no right to be or breathe there. "'Hollingsworth, Zenobia, I have just returned to Blythedale,' said I, and had no thought of finding you here. We shall meet again at the house. I will retire.' "'This place is free to you,' answered Hollingsworth. "'As free as to ourselves,' added Zenobia. "'This long while past you have been following up your game, "'groping for human emotions in the dark corners of the heart. "'Had you been here a little sooner, "'you might have seen them dragged into the daylight. "'I could even wish to have my trial over again, "'with you standing by to see fair play. "'Do you know, Mr. Coverdale, I have been on trial for my life?' She laughed while speaking thus, but in truth, as my eyes wandered from one of the group to another, I saw in Hollingsworth all that an artist could desire for the grim portrait of a Puritan magistrate, holding inquest of life and death in a case of witchcraft. In Zenobia, the sorceress herself, not aged, wrinkled, and decrepit, but fair enough to tempt Satan with a force reciprocal to his own and in Priscilla, the pale victim whose soul and body had been wasted by her spells. Had a pile of faggots been heaped against the rock, this hint of impending doom would have completed the suggestive picture. It was too hard upon me, continued Zenobia, addressing Hollingsworth, that judge, jury, and accuser should all be comprehended in one man. I demure, as I think the lawyers say, to the jurisdiction— but let the learned Judge Coverdale seat himself on the top of the rock, and you and me stand at its base side by side, pleading our cause before him. There might at least be two criminals instead of one. 
"'You forced this on me,' replied Hollingsworth, looking her sternly in the face. "'Did I call you hither from among the masqueraders yonder? "'Do I assume to be your judge? "'No, except as far as I have an unquestionable right of judgment "'in order to settle my own line of behavior "'towards those with whom the events of life bring me in contact. "'True, I have already judged you, but not on the world's part. "'Neither do I pretend to pass a sentence.' "'Ah, this is very good,' cried Zenobia, with a smile. "'What strange beings you men are, Mr. Coverdale, is it not so? "'It is the simplest thing in the world with you "'to bring a woman before your secret tribunals "'and judge and condemn her unheard, "'and then tell her to go free without a sentence. "'The misfortune is that this same secret tribunal "'chances to be the only judgment-seat "'that a true woman stands in awe of, and that any verdict short of acquittal is equivalent to a death sentence. The more I looked at them, and the more I heard, the stronger grew my impression that a crisis had just come and gone. On Hollingsworth's brow it had left a stamp like that of irrevocable doom, of which his own will was the instrument. In Zenobia's whole person, beholding her more closely, I saw a riotous agitation, the almost delirious disquietude of a great struggle, at the close of which the vanquished one felt her strength and courage still mighty within her, and longed to renew the contest. My sensations were as if I had come upon a battlefield before the smoke was as yet cleared away. And what subjects had been discussed here? All, no doubt, that for so many months past had kept my heart and my imagination idly feverish. Zenobia's whole character and history, the true nature of her mysterious connection with Westervelt, her later purposes towards Hollingsworth, and reciprocally his in reference to her, and finally the degree in which Zenobia had been cognizant of the plot against Priscilla, and what at last had been the real object of that scheme. On these points, as before, I was left to my own conjectures. One thing only was certain. Zenobia and Hollingsworth were friends no longer. If their heart-strings were ever intertwined, the knot had been adjudged an entanglement, and was now violently broken. But Zenobia seemed unable to rest content with the matter in the posture which it had assumed. "'Ah, do we part so?' exclaimed she, seeing Hollingsworth about to retire." "'And why not?' said he, with almost rude abruptness. "'What is there further to be said between us?' "'Well, perhaps nothing,' answered Zenobia, looking him in the face and smiling. "'But we have come many times before to this grey rock, "'and we have talked very softly among the whisperings of the birch-trees. "'They were pleasant hours. "'I love to make the latest of them, though not altogether so delightful,' loiter away as slowly as may be. And besides, you have put many queries to me at this which you designed to be our last interview, and being driven, as I must acknowledge, into a corner, I have responded with reasonable frankness. But now, with your free consent, I desire the privilege of asking a few questions in my turn. I have no concealment, said Hollingsworth. We shall see, answered Zenobia. I would first inquire whether you have supposed me to be wealthy. On that point, observed Hollingsworth, I have had the opinion which the world holds. 
"'And I held it likewise,' said Zenobia. "'Had I not, heaven is my witness, "'the knowledge should have been as free to you as me. "'It is only three days since I knew the strange fact "'that threatens to make me poor. "'And your own acquaintance with it, I suspect, "'is of at least as old a date. "'I fancied myself affluent.' "'You are aware, too, of the disposition which I purposed making "'of the larger portion of my imaginary opulence. "'Nay, were it all, I had not hesitated. "'Let me ask you further. "'Did I ever propose or intimate any terms of compact "'on which depended this, as the world would consider it, "'so important sacrifice?' "'You certainly spoke of none,' said Hollingsworth. "'Nor meant any,' she responded. "'I was willing to realize your dream freely, "'generously, as some might think, "'but at all events fully, "'and heedless, though it should prove "'the ruin of my fortune. "'If in your own thoughts "'you have imposed any conditions "'of this expenditure, "'it is you that must be held responsible "'for whatever is sordid and unworthy in them. "'And now one other question. "'Do you love this girl?' "'Oh, Zenobia!' exclaimed Priscilla, shrinking back as if looking for the rock to topple over and hide her. "'Do you love her?' repeated Zenobia. "'Had you asked me that question a short time since,' replied Hollingsworth, after a pause, during which it seemed to me even the birch-trees held their whispering breath, "'I should have told you no.' my feelings for priscilla differed little from those of an elder brother watching tenderly over the gentle sister whom god has given him to protect and what is your answer now persisted zenobia i do love her said hollingsworth uttering the words with a deep inward breath instead of speaking them outright as well declare it thus as in any other way i do love her "'Now God be judge between us,' cried Zenobia, breaking into sudden passion. "'Which of us two has most mortally offended him? "'At least I am a woman with every fault it may be that a woman ever had, "'weak, vain, unprincipled, like most of my sex, "'for our virtues, when we have any, are merely impulsive and intuitive, "'passionate, too, and pursuing my foolish and unattainable ends "'by indirect and cunning, though absurdly chosen, means, "'as an hereditary bond-slave must. "'False, moreover, to the whole circle of good, "'in my reckless truth to the little good I saw before me. "'But still a woman, a creature whom only a little change of earthly fortune, "'a little kinder smile of him who sent me hither, "'and one true heart to encourage and direct me, "'might have made all that a woman can be. "'But how is it with you? Are you a man? "'No, but a monster, a cold, heartless, self-beginning "'and self-ending piece of mechanism.' "'With what, then, do you charge me?' asked Hollingsworth, aghast and greatly disturbed by this attack. "'Show me one selfish end in all I ever aimed at, and you may cut it out of my bosom with a knife.' "'It is all self,' answered Zenobia, with still intenser bitterness. "'Nothing else, nothing but self, self, self. The fiend, I doubt not, has made his choicest mirth of you these seven years past, and especially in the mad summer which we have spent together. I see it now. I am awake, disenchanted, disenthralled. Self, self, self. 
You have embodied yourself in a project. You are a better masquerader than the witches and gypsies yonder, for your disguise is a self-deception. See whither it has brought you. First you aimed a death-blow, and a treacherous one, at this scheme of a purer and higher life, which so many noble spirits had wrought out. Then, because Coverdale could not be quite your slave, you threw him ruthlessly away. And you took me, too, into your plan, as long as there was hope of my being available, and now fling me aside again, a broken tool. But foremost and blackest of your sins, you stifled down your inmost consciousness. You did a deadly wrong to your own heart. You were ready to sacrifice this girl, whom, if God ever visibly showed a purpose, he put into your charge, and through whom he was striving to redeem you. This is a woman's view, said Hollingsworth, growing deadly pale, a woman's whose whole sphere of action is in the heart, and who can conceive of no higher nor wider one. Be silent, cried Zenobia imperiously. You know neither man nor woman. The utmost that can be said in your behalf, and because I would not be wholly despicable in my own eyes, but would fain excuse my wasted feelings, nor own it wholly a delusion— therefore I say it, is that a great and rich heart has been ruined in your breast. Leave me now. You have done with me, and I with you. Farewell. Priscilla, said Hollingsworth, come. Zenobia smiled. Possibly I did so, too. Not often in human life has a gnawing sense of injury found a sweeter morsel of revenge than was conveyed in the tone with which Hollingsworth spoke those two words. It was the abased and tremulous tone of a man whose faith in himself was shaken, and who sought at last to lean on an affection. Yes, the strong man bowed himself and rested on this poor Priscilla. Oh, could she have failed him! What a triumph for the lookers-on! And at first I half-imagined that she was about to fail him. She rose up, stood shivering like the birch-leaves that trembled over her head, and then slowly tottered rather than walked toward Zenobia. Arriving at her feet, she sank down there, in the very same attitude which she had assumed on their first meeting, in the kitchen of the old farmhouse. Zenobia remembered it. "'Ah, Priscilla,' said she, shaking her head, "'how much has changed since then!' You kneel to a dethroned princess, you the victorious one. But he is waiting for you. Say what you wish, and leave me. We are sisters, gasped Priscilla. I fancied that I understood the word and action. It meant the offering of herself and all she had to be at Zenobia's disposal. But the latter would not take it thus. "'True, we are sisters,' she replied, and, moved by the sweet word, she stooped down and kissed Priscilla, but not lovingly, for a sense of fatal harm received through her seemed to be lurking in Zenobia's heart. "'We had one father. You knew it from the first, I but a little while, else some things that have chanced might have been spared you. But I never wished you harm. You stood between me and an end which I desired.' I wanted a clear path. No matter what I meant, it is over now. Do you forgive me? O oh, Zenobia, sobbed Priscilla, it is I that feel like the guilty one. 
"'No, no, poor little thing,' said Zenobia, with a sort of contempt. "'You have been my evil fate, but there never was a babe with less strength or will to do an injury. "'Poor child, methinks you have but a melancholy lot before you, "'sitting all alone in that wide, cheerless heart, "'where, for aught you know, and as I, alas, believe, "'the fire which you have kindled may soon go out. "'Ah, the thought makes me shiver for you.' "'What will you do, Priscilla, when you find no spark among the ashes?' "'Die,' she answered. "'That was well said,' responded Zenobia, with an approving smile. "'There is all a woman in your little compass, my poor sister. "'Meanwhile, go with him and live.' She waved her away with a queenly gesture, and turned her own face to the rock. I watched Priscilla, wondering what judgment she would pass between Zenobia and Hollingsworth, how interpret his behavior so as to reconcile it with true faith both towards her sister and herself, how compel her love for him to keep any terms whatever with her sisterly affection. But in truth there was no such difficulty as I imagined. Her engrossing love made it all clear. Hollingsworth could have no fault. That was the one principle at the centre of the universe. And the doubtful guilt or possible integrity of other people, appearances, self-evident facts, the testimony of her own senses, even Hollingsworth's self-accusation, had he volunteered it, would have weighed not the value of a mote of thistledown on the other side. So secure was she of his right that she never thought of comparing it with another's wrong, but left the latter to itself. Hollingsworth drew her arm within his and soon disappeared with her among the trees. I cannot imagine how Zenobia knew when they were out of sight she never glanced again towards them. But retaining a proud attitude so long as they might have thrown back a retiring look, they were no sooner departed utterly departed, then she began slowly to sink down. It was as if a great, invisible, irresistible weight were pressing her to the earth. Settling upon her knees, she leaned her forehead against the rock, and sobbed convulsively. Dry sobs, they seemed to be, such as have nothing to do with tears. End of chapter 25